411 Live. Well, you can learn about issues that affect us every day. State of world, 411 Live. Real people, real talk. Made to help people in our community in every way. For your girl, 411 There are cases of human trafficking in every single county in Wisconsin. It's everywhere. It's here. It's not just Southeast Wisconsin. It's all over Wisconsin, all over the country, really all over the world. And it's growing. It is a problem. Now, we want to address that. Hello, I'm Beverly Taylor, and this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk. We are delving into a multi-part project concerning human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, and also the trauma that it causes the people involved. Now, this is part two, because we had part one, the topic being sex trafficking and its impact on the family. And for this part two, I'm bringing back the same guests who have done a tremendous job in, in explaining all of this. Dr. Debbie Lassiter, she is the executive director of Convergence Resource Center and co-founder Lisa McCormick, who is the mother of a sex trafficked victim and a staunch advocate for the awareness of human trafficking. They both join us, and um, I should mention that Lisa came to us from Tomo, Wisconsin, so she uh, put in some miles to be with us today, and we really appreciate that. Now, we talked a lot in part one and if you can, I would really encourage you to look at part one because Lisa gave a very detailed account of her son, Jeffrey's journey in sex trafficking, how he got involved, uh, his death, and what the traffickers did at the funeral. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we proceed. But we also want to spend more time in this episode delving into the program that these two have come together and they have developed. And this program addresses the family or the loved ones of the victims of human trafficking. We hear so many about so many programs helping the survivors or the victims, but we really don't hear anything about helping the families. And the families and the loved ones, they're victims too. So let's just get into this program. First of all, what are you calling this program? It's called Through the Eyes of a Parent. We picked that title because we want people to be able to see this through the eyes of the parent or the loved one that's suffering as well. It's amazing that we have a lot of programs now for survivors. Yeah. But the problem is, and we hear this from the survivors we work with all the time, is when they go back home, they're not the same as they were when they left home. And home thinks if I just love them enough, they'll be okay. If I provide a roof over their head and everything they need, they'll be okay. But that's not what's going on because psychologically they've been changed. And now the family doesn't know, do I walk on eggshells around them? What do I do? So we have to help the family in order to complete the cycle of who we're helping. So that is why we thought it very important. And Lisa's input is amazing in this to make sure that we can understand and see what's going on with the families. I mentioned in the first episode that the two of you coming together is just like the perfect fit because Debbie has worked so long with uh, sex trafficked survivors and helping them to overcome and the emotional needs and getting back on track, jobs, that kind of thing. And then here you come, someone who knows exactly what people are going through because you've been there. So it's one of those things where 
when you walk into a situation like this, you want to trust people, but when they haven't exactly been through what you've been through, there's kind of a gap. But when you meet somebody who has been through it, you go, okay, you get it. And you get it. Jeffrey, when he got caught up in sex trafficking, was how old? 17. He was 17. And that was a long road for you guys. And we're talking about the emotional things that you were saying. But let me just backtrack and go into Jeffrey's story one more time. A little bit about it. Jeffrey was on drugs beforehand. Yes. Was that kind of the connection, maybe buying drugs and then the drug dealers. Yeah, in order to support himself when he was living on the streets, he would dance in clubs in order to get money to pay for drugs, or he would be paid in drugs for dancing. And so that's kind of how it began. And that's where the men approached him outside of a club one evening. Okay, so we're talking about the relationship, the impact on the family. So you eventually knew something wasn't right. What kind of gave you the impression? I know you had gone through things with Jeffrey with drug use. But this, a little different. Yeah, and really when I first found out that he was trafficked, I really didn't know what it was. I really didn't understand it. I didn't understand the brainwashing and the coercion that they had done within his brain. And so I really just thought it was just another part of his drug use. I didn't realize what had happened to him during that time. And I truly didn't, even all the way until after his death, did I really clearly understand what he'd been through and working with People like Dr. Debbie and and a lot of others out there really made me see and understand what he'd been through. My son was a wonderful writer and loved to keep journals. And so every hospital he was in, every time he was in jail, he would keep these journals. And so when I would receive them, I could read some of his stories and some of the things that he'd written and said about his journey. We also had a pact that anytime he'd run away or he'd do something, he'd come home and he'd tell me every single thing that had happened on that run. And then we'd drop it. We wouldn't talk about it again. That was our one moment I'd try to keep my jaw shut and and listen to everything he said, and then we'd move on. And so kind of that's how I learned little bits and pieces and didn't really put it all together until after he'd passed away. Wow. Now, that's something that most people don't have. Most people don't get that kind of information. Yeah. Um, So I remember you were talking about, you know, he's been through this journey, he's been trafficked, and Jeffrey breaks some of the stereotypes or the ideas that we have about victims. He's White, male, sold to women. Women were buying sex, and we don't hear that often, and in rural Wisconsin. So there was a point where Jeffrey had gone through that, bounced back and forth with his traffickers, but he's come home. I think this is the last time his sister saw him. He comes home, and you said everything seemed to be on track. You seemed to be okay. So here's that dynamic where the victim comes home with the family, now we've got a we've got this unit trying to maneuver this thing. How did that play out? You thought everything was okay. Yeah, and I kind of compared it a lot to um, having a newborn baby at home again. We did not trust him anymore after all the runaways and all the drug use and everything. And so I had to have somebody watch him 24 hours a day. So someone had the day shift, someone had the night shift. We never, you know, left him completely alone. 
And so we watched him and things seemed normal. You know, I think he portrayed that to the family, that things were normal. He wanted life to be normal again. You know, we went kayaking and we did fireworks in the yard and we went swimming and, you know, we just did all these fun summer activities together. And then just disappeared. You know, and I think I look back on that time and think I just clearly didn't understand. As a family, I just wanted things to get back to normal. And like Dr. Debbie said, that's what families want. They think it's that same child coming back home and they don't realize how different they really are. Right. I want to open it up and remind people who are watching this or listening to this to please drop us your comments, your suggestions, because we really want to hear from you as well and get into this conversation with us. So that's the thing with, we were talking about the family dynamic, trying to maneuver. And Debbie, you were talking about walking on eggshells. And I guess when that person comes back home, it is like a honeymoon period. Therefore, everybody's trying to make everything work. And I don't know if I'd call it a honeymoon honeymoon period. period. It's more like a scared to death period. Yeah. Because I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. There's this blaming and shame that's happening. There's this guilt that's happening for feeling like, what did I do that made them go out there or caused them to go out there? Mm -hmm. Um, If I say this, we hear triggering, but we don't know what it is. So we don't know, am I triggering them? So the family needs help with all of that. Right. Because you're looking at this person who even physically doesn't look the same as they did before. Mm -hmm. So you're like, part of you wants to just act like it's normal and they'll act like it's normal. They do cloak. And that is what she was talking about, where they want you to think that everything is okay because they really want everything to be okay. But because they're not the same, it can't be. Right. There's a new normal. Right. And because the trafficker has told them that there's this vanilla world that everybody else lives in, but we live in the real world. So everything about that life isn't real. They don't trust you. They don't respect you. And now the traffickers debase them so much that even you saying to them, no, you're a beautiful person, they think you're lying. And so now they have to filter everything you say to them through this layer of trust that you don't even realize has been broken. So family members are left, are, I guess they're like, okay, what do I say? How do I communicate with this person without help it's going to be difficult and without help navigating through some of the other things that they need like the legal system and health care and all of those things that need to be done we have people telling us well you know my parents don't know that I have this but I got this while I was being trafficked and so it could be some sort of physical ailment but they're not telling because they don't want their family to think now I'm dirty now I'm not clean anymore I'm not who you thought I was and so Families need help navigating through all that. But the problem is families, a lot of families are so embarrassed Mm -hmm. and so ashamed of what has happened and how they're going to be judged by other people that they won't reach out for help. And so that's why we had to kind of navigate the program to meet them where they are. We thought getting a group of them together would be a great idea. But what we're finding is, no, I just want my family in there. Or I just want to be the only one in there. I don't want anybody this. else. I don't want other no people to know. And then the other thing they think is that we're going to have them tell us everything that happened to their young person or their loved one. We don't need to know everything that happened. We already know how this works. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So what we really want to do is help them, first of all, understand what this is. Dispel some of the myths that they have about it. Mm-hmm. But then equip them to understand what has happened to them and what has happened to me. 
Right. Because they don't understand something happened to you too. Unless it was an interfamilial trafficking thing, which is a whole nother subject. But if your family isn't a family that's involved in trafficking, then you need help. Right. You need help navigating through how do I even show them that I care? And some survivors have said to us, you know, I just wake up every night screaming and my mom would just be right there. But you have other families saying, I wish she'd stop screaming. Mm. She's safe now. What is she screaming about? Because they don't understand. She's reliving it over and over again. And it's going to take, how long is it going to take? As long as it takes. Right. Right. So. Then you have that other dynamic where, you know, you have the parent. Then you have maybe the husband or the boyfriend. Now they're having to deal with a victim. And that's a whole crazy dynamic. What I'm going to tell you about them is that if you really want to see a grown man cry mm. or hear him sob, talk to somebody that's dealing with somebody that's been through that. And what they don't understand is, now we're not talking about morals here. We're not talking about whether or not you believe they should be having sex if they're not married. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about they don't know, should I touch her right now? Um, she's having a nightmare. What do I do? I can't help her. And as a man... I can't help her. You know, it just breaks them. And then they either go one way or the other. Either they're going to become very supportive, almost to a fault, or they're going to become angry. And sometimes they're going to take that anger out on her. Mm. So it's a, it's a whole other dynamic. Brothers are the same way. Brothers feel like they should have done something. But then you get the other cases where if the person has a very severe traumatic byproduct of having been trafficked, they may have an episode and we've had families tell them, you can't live here because we don't know how to handle that. So you got to go. Well, where are they going? Wow. So if someone would have been able to step in and help that family, that may not have happened. Right. They didn't know how to handle it. Because it would have been explained to them what was going on and what what they should do. So all those things re-victimize, you know, without us being aware that that's happening. Okay. We're going to pause here. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back. We're going to continue this conversation. Stay with us. The 411 Live, your link to information. And now, here's your food for thought. Why is he talking to you like that? Private. As parents, we all want to give our kids space. But how often do we consider their phone conversations or their social media accounts? As much as it may annoy them, occasionally monitoring their profiles isn't a bad idea. The world of sex trafficking is a lot more alluring than you may think. Anyone can be vulnerable to the tricks used to exploit millions of girls and boys each year. It's a horrifying experience, and it isn't easy to talk about. Well, I always keep my eyes open. It's never too early to educate your kids on the issue of sex trafficking. For more information, visit the411live.org. Honey, if you look at that phone one more time over dinner, you won't finish your meal. Perfect. It was nasty anyway. What do you think of 41% of all Americans between 13 and 17 years old using Snapchat? Not worried? What if I told you Snapchat is the perfect platform for sex trafficking? He wants my body over Snapchat. What should I do? It's not like the picture is forever. They self-destruct. If you want to do it, I don't see why not. Does it make me look bad, though? He's offering you $100 for a picture. Easy money, girl. Snapchat made the 2016 Dirty Dozen list because of Snapcash and how it encourages sexual exploitation. Your children could be exploited on Snapchat and sex traffickers are monitoring. Are you? For more information, visit the411live.org. 
Welcome back. Remember to leave your comments and your suggestions and your questions and... Uh, we, we really appreciate that. Let's continue on our conversation. We were talking about the loved ones, the, the husband, the boyfriend, you know, not knowing how to handle it could lead to domestic violence. There are just so many aspects to it. But I also want to talk about the fact that many of the survivors or the victims have children. And some of the children are very young. Some of them are teenagers. But they know something's going on. And I don't know, there may be different ways that a victim would play it or a survivor would play it, trying to make sure, trying to shield them to not know, you know, what they've been through. But because of the trauma and the psychological things, it's going to come out some kind of way. Right? Well, sometimes the children are byproducts of having been trafficked. Yeah. And the trafficker may even be their father. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so in all of these situations, we need some very specialized help for those children. And although our program doesn't address that, we are really hoping that as our program grows and people hear more about it, that something specific will be developed for those children that are the children of people that have been trafficked, because it does trickle down. Unfortunately, what happens many times is the girls see mom doing it and say, hey, I should do it too. And some of them do. We hear women all the time saying, my daughter's gotten into this. She thinks it's a good idea because I was in it. I've told her all the horrible things about it, but she still wants to do it. And some of them run away to do it on purpose. Wow. Yeah. So there's a lot, a lot of education that needs to happen and also a lot of understanding of trauma in this area. You know, trauma by itself is a whole gigantic subject, but you need to understand the trauma that is the byproduct of human trafficking because it has to be handled differently. And so we help the family understand that, but we also give the family a place to talk about what hurts. Right, and sometimes they can't say that in front of Mm -hmm. the victim or the survivor. Right, like we've had families come, the mother and father come and bring the daughter, and then the daughter's talking and they're talking, but there are things they wanna say that they can't say with her in the room. You know, and so we have to ask her to leave the room so the family can say what they really need to say. But then now you asked her to leave the room, so she's wondering, what, what are you talking right. about? So this gets rid of all that because this is they're coming on their own. They're mm-hmm. coming without her, and they can come and talk about what they need to talk about. But then we also need to be sure that we provide them some resources. There's so many things you go to and you have a great time, but you leave and you have nothing. You don't have, where do I go next? What do I do next? So we're going to provide them resources. And eventually, we want this to evolve to the point where families, just like Lisa does, can come alongside another family and help them. Mm, That's good. Yes. So that it becomes duplication and not just, oh, this is my toy and you can't play with it. You know? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, and you were talking about trauma for the victim or survivor. But there's that secondary trauma Mm -hmm. that the family Mm -hmm. will face, Mm -hmm. seeing their loved one. Mm what they're going through, and trying to deal with that and cope with that, but not exacerbate, you know, add to their loved one. The family will absolutely have vicarious trauma. Mm -hmm. They will absolutely, because they love the person, they absolutely will feel some of what they felt. And then they won't know what to do with that feeling. Yeah. The first time vicarious trauma happened to me, I didn't know what to do. I thought I was dying. Okay. And so I really had to call somebody to help walk me through it. Yeah. But if that person had not explained it to me, I to this day would not have known what happened to me. 
And it really feels like there's like a ton of bricks laying on you and you can't move. And everybody's going to experience it differently. But a person going through that will try to fix it. They might self-medicate or they might do other things to try to fix it. And a lot of people are mistaken in thinking that human trafficking makes the person really like like sex now. And so they really want to go out and do that a lot so they're promiscuous. That is a learned behavior that happens while you're being trafficked. So if I don't know that, then my young daughter, now she's out here talking to guys. She might not be being trafficked, but she's sleeping with every guy she knows. That's a byproduct of being trafficked. So now I can't punish her for that. She mm. needs help for that. But I need help understanding that right? so that I can deal with her and help her. Yeah, because most people wouldn't come to that conclusion. Right. That that being a byproduct. Right. Versus her just liking it, right? My goodness, there are so many aspects to that, and and then there are the the whole thing of triggers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, most people miss them. And what a survivor will do is a survivor will, for instance, I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm a survivor and we're all out to eat somewhere and mm-hmm. there's this food that you guys are all eating and it's really good. And you keep offering me some and I don't want it. And so what happens? Everybody at the table is going, oh, try it. It's good, girl. Go ahead and take it. But what if I'm being triggered by that food? So what the survivor will do to avoid you continuing asking them that? They'll eat the food, but now the rest of the night they've shut down and you don't know it because they know how to function shut down. Wow. See? So these are things the family needs to be aware of and they need to know. They may act like everything's okay, but they've really shut down. And they're going to experience it when they're alone, and you won't know that that's what happened. So how do you recognize it? Training, you know, and then realizing a person has the right to say they don't want something without us forcing it on them. Mm. And so that that's what we do. We go, oh, it's going to be really good for you. But remember, that's what the trafficker said. This is going to be good for you. Right. Right? And so, you know, and there's so many pieces to it, and then each person is an individual. You know, things that work for one family may not work for the other family, just right. like working with survivors. So that's why we have to really work with that family to say, hey, okay, we what's working for you? What's helping you? And the fathers are a lot of times the toughest because the father really feels like it's his fault, that he should have done something, that he should have been able to find her. They watched Taken and felt like they all should have been out there doing <laughs> that. You know, but Taken was a movie. It was a <laughs> right, movie. It was right, a good right. movie, but it was a movie. Okay, so... <laughs> Yeah. And Lisa, for families, is finally talking about it in a safe place instrumental in the healing process? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. To have someone to talk to who's been there and been through it, there's something that you can, you just, you feel so free that you can share it with somebody. You know, it's when you... When someone says, you know, how are you doing? And you just say, oh, I'm fine. Right. You know, this is somebody that you can really say, how are you doing? And and really look at them and know that, that they're going to give you an honest answer and they know where you're coming from. And very healing and cathartic kind of to, to be able to have someone to share that with. Yeah. Well, that's the reason your program is so significant to me and so important, because you were mentioning families don't want people to know. They don't want, you know, so they're not talking about it, but they need to talk about it. And if they're involved in your program now, they've got a safe place where they can actually do that. And see, a byproduct of that is the the victim believes that you're ashamed of them. Mm. Not that it's what happened to the family. It's that you're ashamed of them because of what they did. And so many times they will return because there's no shame in the trafficking world. The trafficker accepts me just like I am. 
but my mom is angry because this happened. Or my sister, even though she's letting me live with her, she thinks I'm dirt, you know. And so it's all of these pieces that have to get put together. And that's why the tagline says, through the eyes of a parent, walking with families through the unthinkable. Yeah, that's good. That's good. If you're watching or listening to us and you have concerns, maybe we've hit on an area that's really personal for you. We invite you to leave your comments and your questions and your suggestions because we want people to discuss this. We talk about it being hidden in plain sight. Well, let's take away the veil. And let's start talking about it. And let's start start helping each other. So I hope that you are finding something that you can take away with this podcast. But please share it because we'd love to hear from you. So when you get into this program, now has the, the program kicked off yet? Yes, it has kicked off. Um, we're doing it individually with families versus doing groups of families. That was our original plan. And we would one day like to do it that way because we'd be able to, to reach more people at once. But what we're finding is that families don't want to talk about it like that. And so we're being respectful of what they want and tweaking it to make sure that we meet them where they are. Right. That's very good. So how many families so far? So far, there are about four families, and that's a good number to start with because it's a lot of work. Their dates are set, and uh, we've had their interviews, and so we're ready to move forward. Any surprises, any things that that came up that you just did not expect? Not yet, but I'm sure it might. (laughs) I've been doing this a long time, so um, not yet, but I'm, I'm sure that there probably will be some surprises. As people listening and watching, um, and they say, I need this program, what do they do? So they can call Convergence at 414-979-0591. That's 414-979-0591. Or if they want to do something more private, they can send an email. We have a specific email address for Through the Eyes of a Parent. The only ones that see those emails are myself, Lisa, and the psychotherapist that's working with us. And uh, that is TTEP, Through the Eyes of a Parent, TTEP, at convergenceresource.org. They can send a message into there, and we will contact them. And it'll be very private because we're the only ones who see it. Are you excited about this program? (sighs) Very. I'm so excited about this because we've been trying to do this for a couple of years. And as you know, when you're trying to do something positive, it takes a while Mm -hmm. because you have to kind of build help. But, you know, being in the trenches with somebody like Lisa and the psychotherapist that we're working with, it's amazing because no matter what's thrown at us, we just adjust and keep rolling. And so to be able to offer this help to families, because we see the other side. We see the survivors that are just torn apart because they came home. And we see families struggling to help them and just not knowing what to do. So to be able to offer some help I'm so excited about this. I mean, it's it's really exciting for me. And it takes a lot to excite me. <laughs> <laughs> so this is part of, I should say, you both are God-fearing women. Yes, we are. And I guess part of your mission. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be called into it. You can't just walk into it. And we really want to thank 411 Live for giving us this opportunity to share. We we know that uh, 411 has been something that's been really trying to get the word out about human trafficking things. And we encourage people to please support them. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of that, they can go to www.the411live.com. 
org because we are a nonprofit organization and we could certainly use the donations to continue what we're doing because we want to do just multiple podcasts on this because this the subject is so big and so broad and there's so many different aspects and you know you just have so many minutes, but we want to cover as many. And if you have suggestions on a topic dealing with human trafficking, sex trafficking, let us know because we really want to hear it. And we may be able to get the guests and get the people together and, you know, attack that issue that you're concerned about and you want to know more about. As I leave you guys, because I think our time is almost gone, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your willingness to stick with this important issue. Thank you for your willingness to embrace the families who are struggling and need help. Thank you for being one of the first in the community to do this. I hope that um, you have a lot of staff (laughs) because (laughs) I think you're going to need it. (laughs) But yeah, this, this is a great step and I'm so glad that you're doing it. So Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. And and thank you for doing part two with me because uh, there's a lot to talk about. You guys are great. You're great, too. We thank you for joining us. You can get more information about the topics that we discussed again at www.d411live.org. You can hit us up on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and Instagram. We're also on Instagram. Instagram, IGTV. There you go. You can find us there as well. And I'm really serious. If you have comments, questions, suggestions, we really want to hear from you. So go to our website and remember us in your donation, in your giving, because we need that to continue what we're doing. And we believe that we have a mission and we think it's an important mission. We want to make sure that the talk continues, the discussion continues, the awareness continues. And this is a great venue to do that. So hope you will join us on our next episode. And again, if you missed part one of this with these ladies, please check it out because it was very, very informative and and very good. So I hope that you will check that out as well. So until next time, this is the 411 Live. Real people, real talk.